Luke chapter 1. Let's stand together, please. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 39. The Bible says, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. Mary, as you probably remember, Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. Nazareth is in Galilee. Beneath Galilee, you have Samaria. Beneath Samaria, you have Judea. And she left where they were, their home was in Nazareth to go uh, to Galilee. And it takes about two and a half hours to drive that today. Um, but walking it, you can imagine, it's about 80 miles or so. And that's assuming they're in Jerusalem. And the reason we might assume they were in Jerusalem is because they're going to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, whose husband, Zechariah, they just found out they're going to have a baby also. And Zechariah was a priest at the temple. He had a regular scheduled time of ministering at the temple. That would have been in Jerusalem, in Judea. So, assuming they're going there, this is a long walk or a long ride. Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. Now, at this time, Elizabeth is at least six months with child. We know that from earlier in this chapter. So, it doesn't tell us what was said at that time, but um, when she came into the house, she, Mary, saluteth Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, when she heard her greeting, when she heard what she said, I'd like to know exactly what she said, but we don't. But when she said what she did, when Elizabeth heard the salutation, the babe leaped in her womb, this at least six-month-old child in her womb leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice, Elizabeth. That's an interesting phrase. Again, I would like to have seen how this happened, but she wasn't whispering, you know. She spake out with a loud voice. Maybe some woman's coming to your mind right now your wife don't turn to look at her but anyway she spake out with a loud voice and said to Mary blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb or we could say blessed art thou and blessed is the fruit of thy womb and whence is this to me notice what Elizabeth is saying that the mother of my Lord should come to me so Elizabeth knew that the Lord was in the womb of Mary. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, talking about Mary, believed the the. the Announcement of the angel that she would give birth to the Savior. For there shall be a performance of those things 
which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Let's stop reading there, all right, and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. We thank you that it's forever settled in heaven. We thank you that we can have confidence that this is the very word of God, the inspired word of God, and it never grows old. There's no book like it. We praise you for your word. We ask you to bless these moments we have together as we look into this passage that many people in this room have read scores of times, and yet we still enjoy reading it. We're still encouraged by it. Please bless us. I pray, God, for those in this room that are closest to you, that they'd be encouraged. I pray for those who maybe are not as close as they could be or should be, that their hearts, Lord, would be touched, that they would have ears to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Obviously, Mary is just caught up in the wonder of what has taken place. Just think about what's going on. Think, put yourself in her place and think about what's going on in her world. Earlier in this chapter, Luke chapter 1 and verses 26 and following, she has this angelic visitor who comes to see her and received the most amazing birth announcement ever. You're going to have a, you're going to have a child. And of course we know that that was... That was news on many levels, but particularly because she knew that she was a pure young lady, a virgin. How would she have a child? She receives this birth an announcement, and then she hears the news um, down, if you look in uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 36, she hears the news about her cousin Elizabeth. Luke 1, 36, and behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, has, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So at the time that Mary got this announcement about her, her birth, she find out about Elizabeth, Elizabeth, that she's with child. And so all these things are going on. Imagine, ladies, imagine processing all of this. You know, you're going to have, you're not even, you haven't consummated your marriage, even though her, she and Joseph were committed to each other. But you've not consummated this marriage, and now you're finding out you know, you're going to have a baby. And then you find out that your cousin, who's way beyond the years of childbearing, that she's going to have a baby as well. They had, this was such a miracle, really. They, she was an, I don't know how old she was, but it says she was, she's conceived a son in her old age. And so it's just, it's, she's, she's is a, to me, a remarkable example of a woman who knew how to trust the Lord with her circumstances. And, you know, she had asked the Lord in verse 34, a very sincere question, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This is not just a baby. This is the long-awaited Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. And, and what did she do 
with that. If you look in verse 38, just such, one of, such a favorite passage of mine in verse 38, it says, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, I'm your servant. Be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever your word says, that's what I want. Be it unto me according to thy word. May, may it be true of all of us that we would have that same kind of submission to the word of God. That if this is what God says, that's what I want. It may, it may cut against my natural inclination. It may not agree with my personal preferences. But if this is what the Bible says, this is what I want. And that's what she said. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her at that time. So all these things are going on. And then she, she decides in verse 39, that's where we begin reading, that she's going to visit Zechariah and Elizabeth in Judea make this long journey. She meets with Elizabeth. And to me, I, this is a portion of this passage that to me is so rich, is how Elizabeth responded to this salutation. Not only was she excited, she, I think that's where that loud voice came from. She was excited in verse 42. Verse 43, she acknowledged that the baby in Mary's a womb is, the, is her Lord. The, the mother of my Lord shall come to me. And, and then in verse 45, she encourages Mary. I'm thinking a woman trying to put all the pieces together would need a little support and encouragement. And she said, For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. This is going to happen, Mary. It's going to be okay. God's going to make sure this happens. Powerful words of encouragement. And so with all of that, Mary just erupts, if I could use that word, in verse 46, with rejoicing, with praise. Wonderful words. Verse four. My soul doth magnify the Lord. The child in her womb would be the Savior of the world. And so I want to just think about what I want to call Mary's testimony of praise and how she praised the Lord. And there's some things in it that, that we can apply to our life, we can reflect on today. First of all, in verse 46, she says, My soul doth magnify the Lord. She was worshiping her Lord. This word, Lord, is used so commonly in the Bible. The Greek word is kurios with a K. And it's just someone who's supreme in authority. She was worshiping the Lord. Young person, let me, let me help you today. One thing that will change your worship is when you remember who you're worshiping. He's the Lord. He's the Lord. He's real. He's the creator. He's the God of all eternity. We're, worship, we're not worshiping people. We're not worshiping a place. We're worshiping the Lord. Worship, true worship, recognizes God's supremacy. You know, imagine this with me. Just try to, try to picture, imagine this in your mind for a moment. Imagine that you go to heaven one day, and when you get to heaven, you're, you're, you are inserted into an environment, into a place where God himself occupies this throne and you're surrounded by angels who never stop worshiping God and you're and you're surrounded by people people from the Bible people maybe that you've known 
and they're just without, without reservation, without hesitation, without fear of people, without any kind of uh, insincerity or hypocrisy. They're just worshiping the Lord. Now let me ask you something. What would you be doing? What would you be doing? And you know what? Some people, I think if they'd really be honest, they'd say, I could see myself just kind of sitting there in a chair watching them. But I want to tell you, if you're there, that's not what you're going to be doing. Right? She was caught up in what she was doing. She was overwhelmed by the moment. Worship recognizes the Lord's supremacy. Even Elizabeth referred to the baby as my Lord. The, the child you're carrying is my Lord. He's not just a baby. You know, we get excited when somebody's going to have a baby, and we, you know what I'm saying. We get but listen, this is not just a baby. This is the Lord. And I ask you today, especially if you don't find worship, personal worship, meaningful. Is He your Lord? I mean, you ought to ask that question. Is He really my Lord? Notice what she said. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Worship comes from the heart. Worship comes from the heart. Worship is more than just the mind and the words we sing. Right? You could, you could, I could go get my phone... And in just a couple of moments, that we could hear someone singing the words of a carol or a hymn, but that phone is not worshiping. It may be saying the words, and unlike some of us, it may be even on tune. <laughs> but it's not worship, because real worship comes from your heart. My soul doth magnify the Lord. Mag worship magnifies the Lord. Mag you, you know this, but the what do you do if you magnify something? You make it large. You look through a magnifying glass and it makes it big, right? It gets big. You see, worship is making much of God. It's, it's honoring the Lord. It's, and that's why some people never, I don't think they really understand worship. Because in, in the minds of some people, I'm not saying it's true about, but in the minds of many people, they're really, they're really bigger than God is. Their, their will, their desires, their plans are more important than God is. So God is not being magnified. We're being magnified. There's no worship in that. Worship magnifies the Lord. And it includes rejoicing. Look in verse 47. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Rejoicing. She was rejoicing in worship. Rejoicing in God's goodness. Rejoicing in God's grace. And it was, she did it with her, again, it's with her spirit. You know, Jesus said, they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not just with words. Young people, look up here while I'm preaching. Worship, worship is magnifying Him and worshiping Him from your heart. And that's why, that's why it's, I think it's important for us to understand that. You know, I, I came from a world, I was, I was not saved, you know, and I came from a world when I started going to church where I, I had no interest in religious things. I had no interest in, 
I wouldn't, you'd never caught me singing a gospel song. I'd, all my music was the music of the world until I got saved. And then you see me in church with a hymn book, lifting my voice, praising God. You know, tears may be in my eyes. You know why? Because he's mean something to me. He's changed my life. And, and if, that does, if you can't re resonate with that, if you can't connect with that, there's a, there's a spiritual problem there. We worship him from the heart. It comes from the heart. It's personal. Look what she said in verse 47. My spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. My, he's my Savior. The name Jesus means Savior. Actually, it means Jehovah saves. Jesus is my Savior. I... Uh, I read this many years ago. You've probably heard this writing, but it's, it's relevant it's, uh, to what we're saying here. It's, it, it's what it says. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been discovery, God might have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been wealth, God might have sent an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure... God would have sent an entertainer. But man's greatest need is redemption. It's a relationship with God, so God sent a Savior. God didn't send an entertainer. Some people might think, well, I wish Jesus was more entertaining. We don't need more entertainment. We need a better relationship with God. We need a closer relationship with God. And so she says, There's my, He's my Savior. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. And God would provide salvation for us through the sacrificial death of this baby who, who would be born and would eventually go to the cross and pay with his own blood the sacrifice for your sins. That's a great sacrifice. Someone pay with their blood that you could have a relationship with God. And can you imagine with me, try to think with me today, how offensive that would be to God. For him, for him, God, to give his son who shed his blood for your sins and my sins, and we act like it's not a big deal. Wouldn't you think, if you were God, wouldn't you be, find that offensive? I, I would find that offensive. That, that I gave my son who shed his blood for people's sins, and they act like it doesn't really matter to them. So that's why she's worshiping him. She's worshiping him because he's her savior. He's, it's a personal relationship. And when our relationship with God is personal, when He is our Savior, see, we don't have to be in church to worship Him because He's our Savior all the time. And some people may come to church and think, man, I feel like they're putting pressure on me to worship God. I'm telling you, we worship him, we'll worship Him tomorrow and the next day and in the morning and throughout the day. You know why? Because He's our Savior. It's not what we do on Sunday. It's because He's always our Savior. It's personal. By the way, some of you came out of the false religion of Catholicism that one of their false doctrines is the, you know, the, the eternal virginity of Mary and, that, and the immaculate conception of Mary, that Mary herself was immaculate. But I'm going to tell you, she was a sinner just like all of us. She needed a Savior like all of us. And notice another thing about Mary's worship in verse 48. And she had such, she had such a humble view of herself. It says, For he, talking about the Lord, 
hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. He's, he, he who is God has looked upon me. There's no pride in that. It was a very humble view of herself. Why would God take note of me? Why would God care about me? By the way, Mary came from a very humble family. And later on, of course, Jesus would be born. And as the tradition was, Jesus would be taken for a dedication eight days after his birth to the temple. And God prescribed in the Old Testament what would be offered in that dedication. But for those who were impoverished, those who were extremely poor, they could only, the least thing they could offer was a pair of turtle doves. Because they're so poor, they couldn't give anything else. So they would do that. And that's what Mary and Joseph did. Which tells me they were very poor people. She recognized, she saw herself as being, well, look what it says, regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. And yet in spite of that, young person, she was God's choice to bring forth his son. Isn't that an amazing thing? That God would choose her, and she was overwhelmed with it. She saw herself as God's servant. Look in verse 48, the second part of the verse. For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. You know, she saw herself as blessed, but she was only blessed because of the goodness of the Lord. God's goodness in her life. Let's read another verse. Look at verse 49. It says, For he, this is all a part of her, her testimony of praise and gratitude. Verse 49. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. What God did for her was a miracle. God did it. She didn't make it happen. God did it. Think about the miracle that it is, that God himself would overshadow this morally pure young lady and place within her womb the Son of God. And she was awestruck by it. Let me ask you something about this. Has God ever done something in you that only God could do? Well, let me tell you, salvation is a work that only God can do. You can't make it happen. You can't wish it on yourself. It only happens because God does it. We ask Him, we call upon Him, we, we call upon Him to save us, but I'm telling you, salvation is a miraculous work of God. And you... Maybe you can relate to this personally. Maybe you can relate to it because you've seen it happen in other people. But someone, just from one day to the next, has a dramatic change in their life. And it's not because of what they did, it's what God did in them. She didn't say, look at the verse. She didn't say, God hath done for me great things. She said, God hath done to me. Great things. God has done something in my life that is marvelous. And if you're saved, if you're really saved, God has done a great work in you. A great work. And it may not be fully realized yet for any of us, but it's a great work. It's the work of God. 
salvation is, is, and I'm not saying it's like this, because it's not like this, but there are similarities. God regards our lowest state. He, he regarded how poor, of, really morally bankrupt we were. Absolutely, without God and without hope in this world. And in that state of moral bankruptcy, in that state of sinfulness before God and guilt before God, He came into our lives when we could not have deserved it less. Isn't that an amazing thing? And that He would come into our lives when we trusted Him by faith, and He would come into our life and do something in us that only God can do. Amen. No wonder she praised him. And by the way, our response, just, let's just imagine that someone is here today and you're thinking about, you understand the gospel. You understand what Christ has done for you. You understand how undeserving you are. And it concerns you that you don't know the Lord. And someone says to you, as I'm saying, Jesus Christ paid for your salvation. And the only thing standing between you and being eternally saved is you're receiving His love by faith. And you say, well, I just, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. Surely there's something i got to work for. But you know how Mary responded to the good news that the angel gave her? Be it unto me according to thy word. I trust in God's word. I trust that what God says is true. And when you trust in that, for your salvation, whether you're here in this building or at home, or driving down the road in your car. When you decide, I want Jesus Christ in my life, I, I want to know the Lord, I want to have a relationship with God, and you call out to Him, trusting Him, He'll save you in a New York minute. And that's pretty fast. <laughs> Salvation is the work of God. Look in verse 50. And His mercy, she says, she continues this, this testimony of praise, His mercy is on them that fear Him. From generation to generation, God is a merciful God, and I thank Him for that today. As I read this, it says in uh, the, the top of my Bible, Mary's Song of Thanksgiving. Sometimes my Bible has a little title up here. And it doesn't really say this is a song, but it was, it was a testimony, surely, and maybe a song of salvation. She had much to rejoice about. And may I just remind us today that we have many things to rejoice about. I'm not saying everything's going our way all the time. I'm not saying everything's perfect in our life as far as even our personal walk, maybe even our circumstances, maybe having physical issues or problems. But we have many reasons to rejoice. She said, my, my spirit hath rejoiced, not in my circumstances, but my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. I rejoice in God. God has blessed us greatly, hasn't He? His grace and mercy in our lives with His forgiveness. But it's not just rejoicing for what He's done. It's rejoicing for who He is. We rejoice in Him. He reached down for us. You know, I think back sometimes over my life and over our, my preaching, and I wonder sometimes, and I mean this in all sincerity, why seldom, seldom do I ever preach a sermon that I'm not challenged to 
remember what God has done for us. And it's not because it's in my notes. It's not because I feel like I have to do it. It's because it's amazing to me what God would do in our life. Isn't it? It's absolutely amazing. When I, when I, when I couldn't be farther from the straight and narrow way, He came to me. And I don't mean He came to me knocking me down and you know, putting this big handwriting on the wall, but He came to me through my circumstances. He came to me through people who cared about us and invited us to church. He came to us. What love He has. What grace and mercy He has. And I understand a person who's not saved that doesn't really get into this thing of rejoicing and praising God and testifying and thanking God. I understand a person that's not saved feeling that way. I don't understand a person that is saved feeling that way. Because God has done so much for us. He, she said, He who is mighty, He who is mighty has come to us. Who? Me? I mean, such a rebel, such against God. And He came to all of us. Emmanuel, God with us. He came, God in the flesh, to love us and accept us and, and, and as I said this morning, adopt us into His family. What a merciful God He is. So I ask this question in closing. What, is he, what has He done? Not only for you. Young person, give the next few minutes your undivided attention. What has God done that you know God has done in your life? That's made a difference in your life. What has He done in you? What has He done for you? Just think about that today. Has, she, has He shown you mercy? Has He shown you grace? I have a hard time relating to, to the idea that somehow, you know, God owes us something. I mean, I've served God. I, I come to, I mean, look, I'm in church. Right? God owes me something. Here I, I'm telling you, God doesn't owe us anything. If you and I got what we deserved today, right now today, we'd be burning in the flames of hell. Because all of us have broken God's law. All of us have stiffened our neck. All of us have rebelled. Even children have, have rebellion toward God's word. I'm telling you, it's real. But God in His mercy, He loves us. He cares for us. And this testimony of Mary can be your testimony throughout life. Let me tell you what God did for me. And a person can say, Preacher, don't you ever get tired of telling that? No, I never get tired of telling it. Because it's real and it's fresh, right? We owe Him our life. Where would I be today if it wasn't for the grace of God? Where would I be? Where would you be today if it wasn't for the grace of God? We, that's why Paul said we are what we are by the grace of God. Amen? And I, I praise Him for it today. And I thank Him for it today. And I hope you do as well. Make, the, make your testimony like her testimony. Look what God has done for me. And if you're here today and you're not saved, I pray, prayed for you in the night last night. God will somehow get a hold of your heart and open your eyes and let you see how lost you really are. You can be in church and still be lost. 
still be in church and on your way to hell. But I pray that God will bring conviction, such conviction, that you'll turn to Christ and trust Him. Amen? Amen.